welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, your weekly glimpse into the life of indie author Paul Teague. Find out how many words got written over the past seven days, hear what's on the planning board, and discover the tips and tools which Paul is using to self-publish his books and get them selling as fast as possible. This is Paul's Podcast Diary, and here's your show host, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, episode 167 for Saturday the 24th of August, 2019. Coming up this week, I'll have a roundup from my book funnel, prolific works and story origin promos, and there are some unexpected results. I've started making promotional graphics for my rapid release campaign. I'll tell you what tools I've been using and I'll give you access to some examples. And coming up today, I'll be telling you what I've been up to with my Amazon and Facebook advertising as I continue to get ready for that rapid release. By the way, this episode is quite a long one. It's over an hour. I hadn't expected that. And I had recorded Julie Cordoner's feedback about my writing. She's been editing Now You See Her and Left for Dead. I just wanted to tell you right at the beginning of this episode that what I've decided to do is rather the episode when I put them together was about two hours, 20 minutes. That's way too long for anybody. It's longer than War and Peace. So what I decided to do is today, Saturday, hopefully when you're listening to this, I'm going to give you the update diary. And then I will drop my interview with Judy Cordoner into the feed on Monday morning. So you'll get a part two, a bonus episode on Monday. And that will be Julie's interview with me, uh, giving me feedback about all the good, the bad and the ugly of my writing. So I think it was just better. It'll work better if I separate the two of them off. So as ever, I'm recording this on Thursday. So you'll be listening to this on Saturday. So we're just slightly out of kilter with what I've done and what I'm doing. So I'll, I'll put dates on these statistics so you can keep track of it. Last week's word count I said to you I'd be writing on Thursday and Friday last week, and I did. So on Thursday, the 15th of August, I had a 5 a.m. start and I wrote 6,070 words. And then on Friday, the 16th of August, again, another early start, just after 5 a.m., I wrote 4,397 words. Now, normally I write 5,000 words, but what I'm trying to do with these next three books, so that includes the one I'm writing now, which is two years after, and then the two Morecambe Bay Uh, trilogies, the last two parts of that trilogy. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to keep them on budget and on word target. It's quite important to me that I don't go flying over the word count and therefore flying over the budget for these. So I'm really keeping the words tight and onto the budgeted number of words that therefore the the final price that I'm going to pay for editing. Because you know, if I if I uh, if I write too much, I end up paying more, and of course, that's directly taken from an advertising budget at the moment. So I'm being really strict with these words. And having said that, um, I, I've just finished writing today, so today is Thursday, the 22nd of August. So I've written 5,307 words today, which brings my total up. It should be 30,000 words, but my total is currently up to 30,218. So you can see how you have to watch that word creep. I always have word creep. But I am really trying very hard uh, not to do that at the moment. Um, Tomorrow, 23rd of August, I'll be writing another 5,000 words. And on Sunday, the 25th of August, I'll be writing another 5,000 words. I'm also writing on Bank Holiday Monday. It's a bank holiday in the UK on Monday, which was a pleasant surprise for me because it allowed me to move my dates around a little bit to create uh, more fun. But effectively, it gives me a free writing day. So 
everything should be on target, which means I ought to finish this book. I can barely believe I'm telling you this because it feels like five minutes ago that I started writing it again. But I should finish the first draft of this book on Thursday, the 29th of August, which is in a week's time at the time I'm recording that. Honestly, I can't believe that. No, it's only a 50,000 word book, but it only feels like two minutes ago that I was finishing off the previous book with Bill Coker. So anyhow, as you can see, the creativity is flowing. Is that my sixth book this year? No, my fifth book? Sixth book? Fifth book? I can't even remember. Uh, oh, it's my sixth book. That's right, because there's a three sci-fis. There's Left for Dead, which I'm, I'm coming to edit shortly. That's Morgan Bay 1. There's Now You See Her, which was written at great speed. Uh, and then there's this one, which is two years after. So it's my sixth book this year, which just seemed a little bit excessive, to be honest with you. At the same time, I've got this rolling program of editing. So I'm, as I'm writing it pretty well, only a couple of days later, I'm coming in to edit it. So this week on Tuesday, the 20th of August, I edited or first pass edited, I should say, just, just to be clear, chapters nine to 11 of two years after. On Wednesday, 21st of August, I edited chapters 12 to 14 of two years after. And then after I've finished recording this, I just wanted to have a little bit of a break because I've just written 5,000 words. So I had a, I've had my lunch and I had a bit of a break just to keep me as fresh as possible. I'm going to, and this is how ridiculous we are with these timescales. I'm going into first pass edit, the work I've just written today. That's how crazy it is. So uh, tomorrow on Friday, 23rd of August, I will be going through the chapters I write tomorrow. So I'm writing chapters 18 to 20 tomorrow. I'll be first pass editing them tomorrow evening. And, and then that brings me bang up to date with writing and first pass editing. And interestingly, um, you, you're just about to listen in, at the end of this episode to my interview with Julie Cordiner. Hopefully you've also listened to the feedback that I got from Bill Cocus. And clearly, um, you know, plot spoiler here, my commas are all over the place, my punctuation's all over the place, my hyphens are all over the place. And having listened to Jerry Evanoff's podcast, uh, Jerry's talking about how he's using Grammarly when he does his editing. I've used Grammarly in the past, and then I, I moved to ProWritingAid, but I don't like ProWritingAid. I, I was actually trying to embrace it. The reason I don't like ProWritingAid is not because there's anything wrong with it. It's because it simply can't cope, or let's put it this way, I haven't found a way with of making it cope with a full document. So I don't like ProWriting Aid in Scrivener. It screws up the, the visual display in Scrivener. That's how it worked for me. I might be doing something wrong, but I, I couldn't fix it. And then if I try it in Word, if I export from Scrivener, if I do a compile to put it into a Word document, it can't cope with the whole book. I have to keep stripping chapters out. Well, I'm sorry, but that's not the way I work. I'm an author. Uh, I need to work on a full book at one time. I'm not messing around stripping chapters out and all that nonsense. There's enough work to do as it is. And because I'd used Grammarly previously, I had a paid one-year subscription to Grammarly. Kind of got on all right with it. But my my conclusion with all these writing tools is that they're they're a bit like a sensitive monitoring software on your computer, one that keeps telling you that the Russians are trying to hack in, when in actual fact, they're not. It's just, uh, you know, all, all sites can potentially be unsafe, but most of them aren't. That That's kind of the reality of a, of a virus software. So yeah, it might be potentially unsafe, but it probably isn't. And, and a lot of virus softwares don't use their common sense. They just panic the life out of you. And it's the same with a lot of these softwares, that they kind of tell you absolutely everything and they go over the top. But also because they're not a human reader, sometimes I think they get it wrong. Well, they do get it wrong. Um, 
they, you know, you just have to use them with a pinch of salt, really. But I did decide to use Grammarly. I was listening to, to Jerry Evanoff talking about it, thinking, yeah, you know, Grammarly is pretty good for commas and punctuation. It's certainly good for spelling. And so I've installed um, Grammarly. I'm using it. Um, what I'm doing at the moment then is I'm exporting the three chapters I've just written into Word. I've got Grammarly in the Word document and I'm running through it for punctuation. I'm running through it for grammar, running through it for spellings um, and something else that it allows me to do. I can't remember the other one. And I'm getting on okay with it. Um, but you do have to use it with a bit of human judgment as well. And uh, I'm hoping that when Julie Cordner gets this book to edit, she, she might. <laughs> she might just see a tiny little bit difference in, in, in the kind of the punctuation of the hyphens and the, the terrible sort of routine schoolboy mistakes that I was making uh, before. But let, let's see. Let's see what we hear when I've done that. But I am getting all right with Grammarly and I've just bought it for the year. Um, interestingly, it's sort of popping up all over the place now. Um, they've, they've kind of made it slightly more or slightly better since I last used it. And it kind of pops up when I'm writing emails and, and, and blog posts and things like that now. And I'm actually finding it as a, as just as a tool to have connected to flag up any errors I'm making. I'm actually finding it pretty useful. You, you, even if I don't completely rely on it for writing in day to day use, just blog posts, emails, things like that. I'm actually finding it really useful and it's not obtrusive in any way at all. I just get this little underlined, red underline for things that aren't right. And I'm finding it very helpful. So um, yeah, I'm sort of picking up Grammarly. Pro Writing Aid, um, I'd love to use it, but you've got to sort this thing out with document sizes. I'm not using it while I have to split off chapters. There's no way am I splitting off a chapter at a time. So Pro, pro, you know, it's just, I just got too much work. If I've got 45 chapters in a book, I'm not splitting them all out one chapter at a time because the software can't cope with that. So to me, that's a usability issue. They need to sort that out. Um, it's a great bit of software when they sort that out, but I'm not using it until they make it suitable for me with very large documents. I can't sit there all day waiting for it to load or telling me I need to make use a smaller document. They, they've got to get that sorted out and Grammarly have. Uh, Grammarly manage that perfectly all right. So there you go. Just a little rant there talking about my editing. Okay, so let's go to rapid release update now. And it's actually getting really exciting. I, I, I actually can't wait to get started now because Adam Nichols has started his rapid release sequence. Now I told you this a couple of weeks ago. When we decided to to do the co-author business, the first I was going to be the first book in the rapid release sequence. So I I thought, right, well Adam wants it for the 9th of September. I'll make that fits in with my agenda. I can have all my books done for then. So we'll start with a collaboration. But since then Adam has decided to re-edit and put covers on and re-release three of his old novels that he'd done previously and so he launched the first of those books this week um, we've got two more of them to come so he's launching with a trilogy and then I come in week four of his rapid release sequence I'm delighted with that because it means well it means hopefully I'm not standing uh, for, beginning from a standing start in that he will have it'll be that he's well he'll have three weeks of impetus that will be his fourth week and also of course he's already doing very well in Kindle. So with now you see her being book four in his sequence, book one in my sequence, I'm hoping to get a little bit of wind under my wings uh, with that. So seeing Adam now start and thinking, oh, you know, right, that mean that triggers kind of, my, that 
triggers my sausage factory in that the first sausage in my factory comes out in four weeks time. I'm getting really excited now. And every time I look at those Stuart Beige covers, you, you know, I, I don't feel this very often. And, and you'll know listening to the podcast, I have so many people saying to me, you know, you should, um, you know, be prouder or big up more of, of what you've done, what you've achieved. And um, it's not it's not that I don't big it up. And I certainly wouldn't say that I put myself down. It's just that I'm uh, I always keep myself on a leash, on a tight leash. You know, I don't let I don't let things run away with me with it. So I've been doing Internet marketing things a lot of time. I had a lot of disappointment. So I, I do I do quietly s- celebrate and pat myself on the back. But I don't let it get away with me because I know that your next fall, the next issue, the next problem is only just around the corner. So I hope I do it in a tempered way. That's that's what I would claim. Um, anyhow, I'm looking at those covers and, and I, I'm actually getting that feeling that these look good. Um, I'm so pleased I paid for those covers with Stuart Bache. I'm looking at my books thinking, I know what's in the book. I wrote the blasted thing and I would buy that um, because these covers excite me so much. They just look so good. I'm really pleased with them. So at least I feel like I've given myself the best chance possible with this. So um, Adam and I have been chatting about adverts. Adam, what, what Adam does is he sends the his new books to his list. This is why I've been list building to just top up my list. I'll talk to you about that in a moment or two, let you know how I'm getting on with that. He sends adverts to his books. Now Adam tends to just do, he hasn't done book ads before. Um, I think he's dabbled with Amazon, but he had his success with Facebook ads. And my understanding is that he spends, I think, at least five pounds a day, seven days a week on his Facebook ads. So he, each book will get about £35 a week. And then he's also paying for things like Bargain Books. He's, he's using book promotion sites as well. So as you know, I'm going to use all of those. I'm just completely ripping off his strategy. Um, you know, I'm not. Uh, there's no point reinventing the wheel. I'm just trying to replicate what Adam does. But I will be doing some extra things to Adam. So I'm I'm happy, familiar with book, book ads. I'll be doing book ads as well as Facebook ads. Delighted to say I'm still on Facebook ads. I'll give you an update about that in a moment or two. And I've been back to my Amazon ads this week, getting ready to to be spending money on Amazon ads as well. Um, but we were discussing, we're doing 35 pounds each. He, he's going to put 35 quid on Facebook. I'm going to put 35 quid on BookBub. He wants me to put it there because he doesn't usually advertise there. And we'll see where we go with that. But I just can't wait to get going now. You know, whether it, whether it sinks or swims, whether I make no money from it at all or not, I just feel like I got all my ducks in a row or I'm getting all my ducks in a row and I just want to see if it's going to work now to see if we could do anything with this. But I, I just felt that sense of excitement uh, this week when Adam launched his first book and thought, oh, me soon, me soon. It, I'm delighted to say that I've had two campaigns on Facebook. I told you about them last week. I had one on Sci-Fi and one on Don't Tell Meg, which I was a little bit nervous about. Those campaigns have run through their budgets now. Um, no bans, no complaints, lots and lots of clicks on those. So I'm feeling very happy about that, that this new Facebook uh, account that I set up following advice for what you do when you've been blocked or banned by Facebook, that seems to be ticking along nicely. And so this week I decided to try something else. Um, I, I can't really advertise at the moment. I've got nothing to advertise. I don't have anything on pre-sale. The minute I can, I will start to push things, but I've got nothing I can push yet because I, I don't have anything on uh, what do they call it? Pre-release. Nothing's on pre-release yet. Now you see her isn't on pre-release yet. Adam is just, he's just running it through his beta readers and he'll upload it and it'll be ready to go. He'll let me know as soon as it's ready to go. And I will both start to push it, of course. Um, but I decided this week, I thought, well, what, what can I do? 
And I've just decided to throw £25 at a lead building campaign. Now, previously, when I was on Facebook, I found it was cheaper to use Facebook lead campaigns than it was to go for clicks. So I was able to get clicks. They were slightly more expensive than I was achieving for leads. But of course, with a click, if somebody clicks through to your Amazon page or your website, whatever you're sending them to and they don't buy, well, you've paid for that click, but you've you've made no money from them. Whereas if you go for a lead, so you, you're trying to add somebody to MailChimp or MailerLite, if they if they don't buy, then at least they go into your sales funnel and you you give them many other opportunities to get to know you, to like you, to get interested in your books. So I've always been quite a fan of lead ads, even though lead ads don't lead directly to a sale. So I thought, well, let's try some lead ads. And all I'm doing, I'm not even, I mean, I'm, I'm literally just writing off 25 quid because I just want to, I want to, I want to have some activity running on this new Facebook account because... I just want to build up that kind of trust in it before we start the rapid release. But also I'm just catching up. I'm reacclimatizing myself with with using Facebook ads again, just building those audiences, checking those audiences and just getting things going. So what I decided to do is I've just got a campaign running for Now You See Her at the moment. I've used six of the adverts that I created on Bookbrush. I'm a real big fan of those ads, by the way. Some of those pictures do well on Facebook. I've got one particularly for Now You See Her. It's doing really well. And I just wanted to tell you, I'm just spending, I think, about five quid a day just for a couple of days. And so I went through the process of setting up lead ads again. It's a long time since I've done this. It must be over a year since I've been able to use lead ads on Facebook. And they've improved hugely since I used them. So last time I used leads ads for myself, you had to, well, you you, you set the, 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 the adverts up as you normally do. The difference being that rather than going for a click, you, you have to set up a, a form. And I always liked lead ads because when people complete the form, you can send them to a web link. And that web link can frankly be your Amazon sales page. So often, if you're lucky with lead ads, not only do you get the lead, you still also get the sale because you can redirect them after they've completed the the form. So I, I am more predisposed to like lead ads, even though they feel slower in terms of making the sale. From a internet marketing point of view, they're pretty clever things. Now, what had changed in lead ads since I last did them is they were a bit ropey in the old days. So in the, in the old days, and by that I only mean it just over a year ago, you if you did it badly, you used to get your leads as a downloadable CSV file in your Facebook account. And you had to manually add that to MailChimp or GetResponse or MailerLite, whatever you, you, you were using. And that wasn't very clever because somebody might have just signed up for a free book, got the free book and unsubscribed. And by the time you added them, you were adding them in as a live lead and they'd unsubscribed. And, and so you were kind of getting out of sequence with things. And I, I didn't think that was very clever at all. So I always, I have always with lead ads paid the extra for Zapier, Z-A-P-I-E-R, which links your Facebook account to you, MailChimp or whatever email service you use. And then when people fill in the lead form, rather than it sitting in this CSV file until you could do something with it, it automatically sends it to MailerLite, MailChimp or whatever you use, sends them the first email with the book on. And then if they then subsequently unsubscribe, your software will handle that. And that all makes perfect sense. But um, you used to have to set that up manually. So you used to have to go into Zapier to set it up and link Facebook with Zapier. And it was kind of done that way around. Whereas this time when I went in, when you set up your form, you're now prompted to connect it with an email marketing service. And they only used to offer MailChimp in the old days. But now 
um, well, I put MailerLite in it automatically will link you to MailerLite. So rather than doing it from the Zapier point of view, so it's Zapier centric and you're linking it with Facebook, you're now doing it from a Facebook point of view. So Facebook will say, are you using um, a certain, um, are you using a certain software for your emails? Uh, put a search in here. And obviously MailerLite um, was, well, MailerLite was there. MailChimp was always there, but there's a big list of of email programs that it links with. And from there, it then links you to Zapier and to a two-week free trial on Zapier. Um, and so you link it up with Zapier. Uh, so you, you're kind of doing what you did before, but in the old days, you used to have to get Zapier first and then do it. This time, you, you start, everything's in Facebook. So it's a much, much, much smoother, cleverer system. And I assume that Facebook are getting some kind of affiliate kickback on the Zapier referrals, which would be worth a fortune to them if they are. They must be getting a kickback on that. Um, but it's just all the more seamless, I thought, all the more professional. It was really ropey before, but it's very good and very impressive. And um, obviously, one of the things that you do when you set up lead forms is you just follow those first ones through just to make sure they're being added to your automation list. And it's all working uh, perfectly. So um, i got to tell you that at the moment, and this is, this is probably my fault, but I, I haven't taken an awful lot of I'm not taking an awful lot of effort with this as you know I just it's 25 quid I just want to run a budget over it I just want to go through it snag it think about it work out what I'm doing right what I'm doing wrong this is just a warm-up it's gentle stretching exercises before we do the main rapid release it's just me getting back into Facebook again getting familiar with the interface I'm happy to write off 25 quid though I am getting leads of course but my leads are, are quite expensive at the moment let me just get you I think I've only had I've had 10 leads, I think. I'm, I'm using, I'm actually finding, I think I t- said this to you last week, I'm finding the the Facebook ads app. You can get a special app for your ads on Facebook. Um, I'm finding the apps, um, the app for, for your ads, uh, much easier to get my stats on than I am having to go into the Facebook uh, online sort of browser-based management system at the moment. So, at the moment, I've had lo- I've had nine leads, but I'm paying way too much for a lead. I'm paying 48 pence a lead. Now, if you compare that with my thriller uh, clicks last week, so nine leads, 48 pence a lead um, f- for lead building. Now, I was getting those a lot cheaper before. So what I will do when I get a minute is look back at my old campaigns and see what the audience was, because I was getting them a lot cheaper than that last time I did lead ads. So I think that's probably to do with my audience. There'll be something in there that I'm not quite doing right oh the other thing i can tell you is by the way sorry this this is why they're expensive it's a lousy offer um <laughs> you know by my own admission it's a test offer so the offer at the moment is a picture of now you see her using these wonderful book brush graphics i've got really nice ones three let's say 3d images but you know proper images of the book on coffee tables and things like that and the 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 promise for your lead is um, you know, that the book is being released on the 9th of September, be the first to know as soon as it's released. Now that's a rubbish offer. Normally you'd be, normally I'd be giving somebody a free book and I'd be shifting them by the bucket load. Um, but I'm that, you know, my, my offer is lame at the moment. Um, you know, who cares, frankly? What, I'm surprised we've got as many leads to have. So it's my fault. The offer's poor. I know it's poor. I'm not really going to be able to improve it until I can give something away for free. I've nothing to give away for free at the moment. So I'm just happy to run 25 quid on that just to tweak and analyze and watch and learn and just get the hang of doing these uh, campaigns. And then I feel like I'll be all warmed up and ready when we start the rapid release process. But that's uh, really, really interesting to see how Facebook have improved that interface. It's very good. Well done, Facebook. It's nice to be able to say something positive about you for a change. 
I also this week switched my Amazon ads back on. Now, as you know, I've been slightly busy recently. And what I do with my Amazon ads is I, I put huge daily budgets on. I put $5,000 budgets on per day. You never spend that. I mean, I, basically what I've been doing with Facebook ads, and I can't remember, was it Brian Cohen I got this tip from? I can't remember who I got this tip from. But basically, I put a huge daily budget on my Amazon ads, which is usually $5,000, and I squeeze the date. So I always put, like, I always say this ad sequence needs to add it, end in a month's time. And so the combination of that, that, the idea behind that is that it forces Amazon to say, well, this guy's got a huge budget. We need to spend this budget as soon as possible. We've only got a month to spend it. Because if I said, oh, this campaign will run for a year and I put that on, well, Amazon would take its time. So what, what I'm trying to do is to force Amazon to spend my money. And it never spends my money at all, as you'll hear in a moment. I'm going to give you some statistics in a moment or two. But I did decide to turn, um, I basically, at the end of last month, those ads had stopped and I'd forgotten to switch them on again. So I switched all my ads on and, I, and I've got a couple of Amazon ads that work. I'm going to give you the numbers in a moment or two so you can see. Um, but again, I just can't spend the money. And I guess over this rapid release, one of the things I would like to discover is how I spend more money on Amazon ads. That's, that's kind of the holy grail for me. Um, let me give you some, let me give you my lifetime stats on Amazon just to give you an indication of this. Now, this is bearing in mind that I got, I got ad sequences on that have spends of $5,000 a day. That's what I'm saying I'm prepared to spend. So I'm really trying to force the sales out of this. Now on amazon.com, this is lifetime. I can't even believe this looking at these figures. Lifetime on amazon.com, I've spent $13.65 and I've made $168.76 in sales. On amazon.co.uk, I've spent 75 pounds and eight pence and made 256 pounds and 91 in sales. So the theory of that is you've got a money machine there. So the theory of that is that if I put £13.65 in every £13.65 I get, I get £168 back. So at that stage, you can say, okay, well, let's just, let's just multiply everything by 10. If I put £1,365 into those adverts, I will make $16,876 back. So it's dollars, that number. And, and that's what I mean by a sales money machine. When you get that ratio between the money you put in and the money you get back. This is where Adam Croft was with his successful Facebook launch. Where he's putting, he's shoveling money in and it's a lot of money, but what's coming out is even more. It's a money multiplier. That's kind of what you're after with your ads. And this is the frustration with Amazon is that both of those ratios are fantastic. If I times them by 10, if I stick seven and a half thousand pounds in and make what, 25,000 pounds back, that's a good little money machine, but Amazon won't let me spend it. And that's the frustration with Amazon. So, um, I thought you'd find my lifetime stats interesting. When you think that I'm putting $5,000 budgets on a particular ad, each particular ad for a day and trying to squeeze those out in a month. And so the ratios, I'm only putting that uh, kind of money on campaigns that are giving me the right um, ACOS, the right kind of ratio of return, but I cannot spend my money. So that's really going to be the challenge for me during rapid release to see if I can just get more out of those Amazon ads. I've started to create some formats for BookBub and Facebook ads now. Now, I've added a gallery to the resources page this week with images that are made up from BookBrush and Canva and My eCover Maker. Now, these are all the tools that I would recommend to you. And I affiliate, oh, I can't affiliate for Canva. I would if I could. But I affiliate for BookBrush and My eCover Maker simply because I use these tools. This is what I use. So I use My eCover Maker 
to make 3D images. And in actual fact, um, my cover maker is less useful to me now because of what BookBrush are now providing. But usually with my cover maker, what I do is I just upgrade for a month. So I think it's $20, something like that. I make loads and loads of 3D covers, different uh, versions of 3D covers, and then I um, add them to BookBrush. Now, BookBrush will allow me to, cre to create 3D covers, but I prefer the graphics for my cover maker. Uh, my cover maker gives me more choices of graphics, and I tried both at the weekend when I was doing this, and I thought, oh, can I can I save myself some money here with the, my cover maker? But I think if there's one thing I would recommend that BookBrush can improve, it would be for them to have a look at my cover maker and for BookBrush to allow you to make as many 3D cover options as my cover maker allows you to do. Now, I currently prefer the 3D cover options that my cover maker lets me do. Now, there's a very good reason for that. When when I when I buy covers from Stuart Beish, um, I've only bought this time around from Stuart flat covers for eBooks. And if you think about it, if you make a uh, if you use a 3D cover maker, you somehow need to sort out the issue of the spine. So I don't have a spine for those books, and that's a problem for me. But with my cover maker, they do the angles of the book different, so you don't need a spine. So the angle of the book that I use is where you don't have a spine, and instead you see the pages in the book. It's a, it's a flip. Uh, it just depends which way you flip the 3D image round. So that gets me out of having to pay extra for 3D images. My images look great. So that's how I, that's what I've used to, to make my, my 3D books. So I've used BookBrush again. You know, I, I'm loving BookBrush at the moment, but I also use BookBrush this week to create some, uh, well, actually, um, Ad Adam Nichols lo loved my pictures. I, I made some very bespoke um, now you see her Facebook adverts, but, but mainly because I, I just sent him some of my book brush book bub adverts. So I, I've been working through Dave Gochran's book and I was following the advice in Dave Gochran's book to pick out, um, an element of the cover, um, and to accentuate that and then to put the book cover in front of it. And I'd use the red kite. Uh, and it looks really nice, actually. I'd use the red kite for my book bub ads. And I'd sent those to Adam to say, just to let you know, these are the ads that I'm going to be using. And he loved them and said, can I get some of those for Facebook? So I, I changed the size and I sent them to him. You can see those on the resources page for episode 167 this week. Um, I'm sharing those with you so you can see what I've done. But um, it was a very productive session. The other, the other thing I've done is all of my, if you go and look at me on Twitter, my author page on Facebook, if you look at the website for selfpublishingjourneys.com, paulteague.net and paulteague.co.uk, you will see now that I've moved into marketing mode, mega marketing mode. So I have created new banners for everything. At the moment, those banners are promoting the first four or five books in my rapid release sequence with the release dates and the brand new Stuart Base covers there. So I am using, I'm viewing my banners on social media and my websites as billboards. Uh, and I've started to tease uh, the fact that these books are coming out. And because I've got those banners in Canva, as I launch a book, I can add a new release date. So I will be doing this on a rolling basis now all the way through rapid release. So if you if you just clock those banners, if, you, if you're on any of my websites or any of my social channels, just clock those banners when the rapid release starts and you'll see that those banners will change every week. So as I've released the book, it will probably say brand new release. And then as that is no longer a new release and we've got a new one, I'll, I'll bring another one forward with the release date of that. So all the time, like a billboard, you'll be seeing what's coming up in my rapid release sequence. So I did loads of graphic work at the weekend. And uh, just to repeat one more time, I did that with Book Brush, Canva and my cover maker. 
see a selection of all those graphics on the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com episode 167. Um, I must have had some free time last week. I'm not quite sure where it came from. Oh, I think it was because it was raining. We were going to go out and it was just pouring with rain so much. I, that's right. It was Friday afternoon. It was absolutely pouring with rain. And uh, we'd been and played bowls the day before because that was undercover. And uh, it was just like a write-off of a day. And so I got a work day and unexpectedly. So I got all this graphics work and it was a hugely productive day for me. Uh, but I... I so I, I don't sort of regret it, but the weather's just been terrible this summer. But we, we just gave it up as a bad job and I got a day's work done. So as well as doing that, I have now templated 10 promotional MailerLite emails, which are due to go out every Monday and every Wednesday that goes out to no open. So I've got 10 emails queued up um, starting from Monday, the 9th of September. And so it will go out every Monday to say, here's this week's new release. Buy it now at the discount price of 99 pence or cents. And then for people who don't open, they will get an automated resend on the Wednesday with a different headline on the email reminding them that they can buy. And then that goes on for at least 10 weeks, but probably much longer, depending on, you know, how, how I shuffle things at the end. I told you last week there's a fork. I'm not quite sure what I'm doing from week 10 yet. Um, but. Uh, it may be something like 14 weeks of rapid release. I'm not sure what it's going to be quite just yet. I can't quite see the end yet. I've just got two options. So um, I've got uh, my monthly email is going out. My regular monthly email to my list is going out this Sunday. I always send out it out on the last Sunday of every month. So this Sunday, I, I'm kind of warning my list that they're going to start getting weekly emails as I go through this rapid release sequence. And I've, you've always got to say to people, what's in it for me? And so I've tried to pick up the what's in it for me, which is that you will get these books at the lowest price that they're available. Um, uh, but also I, I kind of thought, you know, if, if, I, if, if I tell my list, they're going to get an email from me every Monday and they might sort of tolerate that, but they might think, well, I've kind of read most of Paul's books. I'm not going to open the email. I do want to train them to open my emails. I want to train them to expect something good in my emails. So what I've also said to them is that in every email that I send, I'm going to share a, an unknown fact about me in those emails. And, um, you know, something from my childhood or something I've done in my life or just something that I, they won't know about me. And I'm going to share one of those every week and probably with a, an old photograph or something like that with a story attached to it. So I've tried to set it up so that even if you don't, even if you're not interested in the book at any level, I've tried to set it up so it's worth opening the email. Um, so we'll just have to see how that goes. But I just thought, hmm, if I just, if I, if I told you, or if I was told I was getting a marketing email every week for 10 weeks, and I thought, well, you know, I've read the books, thanks very much. What would make me open it? I thought, well, that, that might make me open it. Something that's something worth opening it for, something interesting that I might not know already. The other thing I'm considering as well is, you know, could I perhaps have some kind of competition tied in with that? I don't think I could manage it weekly. But I might be able to manage it over, say, a month. I might be able to have a draw every month for somebody who clicks reply on the email. Or perhaps it might be cleverer if I ask people if they've read the book. Um, this is something that Rob Moore does, actually, very effectively, um, where he says, send me a screenshot of your purchase. And I, I might do something like that. Send me a screenshot when you buy the book and I'll put you into a draw. And at the end of every month, you know, I'll give out a $25 Amazon voucher or something like that. I'm just, I'm thinking about something like that as well. I'm going to have to commit to it pretty quickly because, um, you know, we start all of this very soon. Um, but just speaking aloud to you now, that sounds like quite a good 
thing to do. I'll, I'll think that through. I'll let you know what I do with that. I've started to plan. This is, I, mean, I haven't even got to my general news yet, for goodness sake. This is my rapid release news. Um, so yeah, I've got those 10 MailerLite emails done. So they're not completely written. I've just got the, I basically, I created a template for it. So it's all, they're all going to be templated. And I've got the right, I've got a different book cover image from Book Brush in there every week saying, here's this week's new release. But obviously I've got to put the buy now links in and things like that. But I've created buttons and all that sort of stuff. It's all ready to go. I just need to customize it each week. I'm just trying to save myself work. Um, with stuff I can systemize and template. I'm just trying to save myself work with that up front. So yeah, with rapid release in mind, I've started the process of planning Walker Bay Trilogy's books two and three. And so Left for Dead is Walker Bay Trilogy one. Julie Cordoner has edited that. And bizarrely, I haven't had a chance I, because of the, where it comes in the sequence. I haven't done my final pass on that yet. So I haven't worked through that edit yet. But I now need to be planning the, the following two books. And I'm, I have been watching a series called Deep Water on ITV this week. My, my wife's been away um, on a jolly. And so I've, I've kind of watched indulgent telly in the evening. And this uh, series got very uh, poor reviews, actually. But I don't care because it's just the kind of thriller I like. And I'm enjoying it, actually. I don't care what the reviews say. I, I would describe the acting as a little bit flat. But um, the story's good and it's the sort of thing I write. Uh, so, I, so I've been watching it really as much from a craft point of view as anything. And it's set in the Lake District, incidentally. So I'm, I'm looking at the Lake District thinking, hey, I live there. Doesn't that look beautiful? <laughs> and I, when you live in the Lake District, I, mean, I don't live right in the heart of the Lake District. I live on the border of the Lake District. I'm, I'm in the Lake District quite a lot. But um, when you look at it, you think that's absolutely gorgeous. Why don't I spend more time in the Lake District? It is a very beautiful area. Anyhow, um, the reason I'm watching that this week particularly is because when I read thrillers or I watch thrillers on telly, it gets my brain tingling with ideas. And as this has done this week, um, it's, it puts me in a thriller frame of mind. And so it's given me lots of ideas. I came up with a nice title this week. Where have I written it down? Oh, um, it's something. Yeah, it was just an idea. It might not be in these thrillers, but it's a concept I had. Um, my wife and I this week have we, we've installed something called Google pictures i think it's called um and i i hadn't heard of it before yeah google, google photos it's called it's a little app that you can put on your phone and it allows us when we take photos um they they automatically upload from your phone into the cloud and and it deletes them off your phone when it's backed them up which is fantastic because it's just an automated process and it's unlimited storage as well and i'd been getting a bit frustrated with OneDrive and dropbox because a lot of the time if i take a photo for this this podcast or for social media, Dropbox and OneDrive weren't uploading it fast enough. I expect to take the photo and to have it uploaded so I can put it on social media um, straight away if I'm working on my PC. And it was getting a bit slow, but with this um, Google Photo, it works really well. But one of the things we've done is we've we've shared our photo accounts because obviously most of the time we're we're you know traveling and, and just doing scenery shots there's nothing, nothing private on our photos at all um so we're just sharing them automatically and it just gave me a thriller idea that my my wife's photos are popping up in my google drive and i thought well what if somebody got kidnapped or disappeared and you there was a clue in the last photograph that came on their shared account um and and that so you know say it was somebody in my family or somebody in the protagonist's family disappeared and this photo was the last clue and you recognized where it was so you went there to see if you could find them you know that 
that's great premise for a thriller. So um, I think the the notional title of the book is Her Last Picture. Um, and I just thought, hmm, I might be able to work with that. So that might be one for now. It might be one for later. The other thoughts I've been having with this Morecambe Bay trilogy is I'd originally thought, all right, I will, I'm going to make this a series where the the characters recur, but it's not sequential. So you could read them standalone. But I did have a thought this week that I might turn it into a Don't Tell Meg style trilogy. So although Left for Dead tied up, all the, the, the loose ends are tied up, I could very, very easily uh, make this into a trilogy. So basically, if the dead guy has a half brother that didn't show up on the electoral roll, um, something like that, or an old work colleague or something like that who sees a story, who sees the story of, a, of the, this holiday camp in which the first book set. It, it won't take me, it doesn't take very much to, to, to turn it into a trilogy because Don't Tell Meg was supposed to finish. And I just, I think it, I just, I just twisted it in the last sentence. The last sentence said, basically round the whole story up. And the last sentence said, words to this effect. And that was pretty well it until he got a postcard from her a year, a year later. So it, it like tied everything up and then completely opened it up again. Um, so I can very easily do that with um, Left for Dead if I if I need to. I just come with a long lost relative or a friend or a, a girlfriend or somebody who comes looking for him for some reason or whatever. And then I can stir it all up again and come up with some other twist. So I was thinking, hmm, should I do that as a trilogy? Because Don't Tell Meg sells really well. Or am I going to just run this as a series? And so my dithering with this is, well, if it's a series, it probably ought to have a consistent character rather than a, a medley of characters and place. So I, I'm veering more towards turning it into another trilogy now. But, well, I'm going to think about it. Um, so in terms of my planning process, what I did yesterday is I'm just getting in the zone, really. So I'd be, I was obviously watching telly to put myself in a thriller state of mind. Uh, but also, I have created two Scrivener documents. Uh, so I have these templates for 50,000 word books, 75,000 word books, and 90,000 word books. So I use my, my ready-made Scrivener templates for 75,000 word books. I've got three novel factory templates I use for 50,000, 75,000, and 90,000 word books. So I saved... Well, actually, I took the old template for left for dead because if i'm going to be using some of the characters anyway regardless so rather than repopulate it again from scratch i used the file from left for dead did a save as on it deleted some of the characters who are dead or who won't be used in this story for definite uh, and and then just I, I then saved it as book two and book three and then also because i'm getting so on so well with planning and i'm loving it again with two years after that this um little document that i'm using it's only in google drive I did them for John and James, and I, I did it even uh, even more thoroughly when I was working with Adam. And I've done it for two years after. I'm getting on really well with it for two years after. So I'm going to do it with these Walker Bay books too, where I basically outline the whole book, all however many chapters is, 45 chapters. I, I write down my planning notes for each chapter so I know exactly where the book's going. I've, I found it fantastic. So this morning, for instance, I turned up at... I can't remember what time I started writing today. It was a bit later today because um, my wife's away. About 8 o'clock, I think, I started writing today. And um, I just kind of turn up, open Scriver and know exactly what I'm writing because I've already planned the story. I really like doing that. So I'm going to continue doing that. That's going to be a, a pivot, a change in my writing process now. So um, basically, again, if I have to do something more than once, I turn it into a system or a template. So I've now templated that. Now, hang on, let me make a note of this because I'm very happy to share that template with you on the resources page. So let me make a note of that. You can hear me making a note of that now. 
because otherwise I will forget it. So I will share the template that I'm using to sketch out my book. So there's nothing particularly complicated about it. And I used to do this the night before in a piecemeal manner. And all I'm doing is I'm doing exactly what I used to do, which is writing notes for each chapter. Um, but I'm, I'm doing it all up front now for the whole book this time around. But um, I won't put any notes in there, obviously, because all these books aren't published yet. So what you'll see is my template. And basically, it's a template that has, um, I state the theme. So I always like to have a theme in my book. So for instance, in the Forgotten Children, they're only light themes, they're not heavy handed themes. But the theme there is um, children in care, the care system. It's a very light theme. Um, but that, that if you want the underlying theme, that's the theme of the Forgotten Children. And if you want the theme of two years after, it's um, men mental health, uh, good mental health um, and how we treat mental health. Nothing heavy handed in there at all. It's just a light theme. And, and most of my books do have a light theme in there uh, somewhere. And so um, I, I've put a section for the theme to think, well, what's what's this book about? What's its kind of subplot, if you want? You know, what's the point it's making in the background? And let's say they're not heavy handed, those at all. But I do tend to have a theme. Um and then I've, I write a tagline uh, and then I write, um, it won't be the final blurb, but I write the blurb for the book before I actually start to plan the book because the blurb gets me in the frame of mind. It tells me what this story is about. And then after that, I sketch out each chapter. Now for each chapter, I follow the save the cat system. So you'll see in the chapters, I've got all the things there, um, you know, the inciting moments, they're all in red brackets. And then for each chapter, this is something else I've started doing. And, and interestingly, uh, Bill Cocos picked up on this when we were talking about pacing. I put a black bracket in there and in each black bracket, I, I, I note the drama or the tension in a particular scene. And I find that handy because, uh, you know, sometimes a book could drift. They talk about the soggy middle. I've never felt that I have a soggy middle in, in my books. And the reason for that is, is because I try and end, I, I said this to Bill last week, I try and end each chapter with a, a beat, a note of tension, uh, an uncertainty, a revelation. But there's always, I always try and end every chapter um, on, on a beat, if you, if you want to call it that. And I am now specifically going through each chapter to say what that beat is. You know, where does the tension come here? What's the surprise here? Where does the action come here from here? And, and by doing that across the spread of a whole book, it keeps the momentum up. It keeps the pace of a book up. So I will share that template with you, but basically I've got templates for the next two books done. I, ha I now have, obviously I'm thinking, 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 thinking all the time. Um, and I, I have notes to refer to in Trello. This is where I start to look at all the ideas, the notes I've put down. And then what will come is something will come from that at some point, And I'll decide where I'm heading with the story. But I have to I have to commit to this. I've got a day free on Saturday. So on Saturday, the what is it? The 24th or the day you're listening to this. I'm doing a park run in the morning. Then the rest of the day is dedicated to planning out these books. And then I have another day next Saturday, 31st of August. Um, to finish off the planning, the step-by-step -step planning. And I have to start writing this next book the, the Sunday after that, the 1st of September, I start to write that next book, Morecambe Bay 2 book, whatever the final title will be. So there's no rest. It just keeps going on and on. And um, and I'm enjoying it at the moment. You know, I'm really enjoying writing the stories. I've got, I feel like I've got plenty of leisure time. I will say to you that when I, I sat down today, I, um, I woke up, I did wake up at five o'clock. My wife's away at the moment. So I knew that I could write on a normal weekday routine if I wanted to. 
Um, but I, I woke up at five and thought, you know what? I'm just going to have a doze today. I feel like a doze. So I dozed in and got up at about seven. And so I was working and writing by eight and I was done by 12 this morning. So I just shuffled the times around a little bit, but I couldn't be bothered to get up at five this week I, uh, or, or today. And I didn't have to, to be honest with you. I knew I'd get everything done anyway. So I am cutting myself some slack. I am trying to make sure that there's kind of, it's not just all work. I do think if it's just all work, it becomes, well, you lose all the pleasure in it. And I'm, I'm still really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying writing the story, but I didn't feel like writing today. Uh, you know, when, when do you? But I sat down, I opened up Scrivener. Everything was planned for me. And all I had to do was turn up and write for three long, uh, three hour long sessions. And I got another 5,000 words done. And I guess the more you do it, I've done this a lot now. Um, I know often that I'm going to turn up and not feel like it. So I just push through that now, to be honest with you. So can you believe it? That is just the last week. And that is my rapid release update. I've got some other news for you. <laughs> so I do apologize for this. You might want to put the kettle on and take a break, take a breather. So uh, let me let me bring you up to date with all the other bits and pieces that are going on. There's so much going on at the moment. This is now my general news. And remember, we've also got an interview with Julie Cordner coming up, which was quite a long one too. So I do apologise. I maybe should have split the episodes. Um, anyhow, hopefully your podcast listener will pause it. If you stop and go away for 24 hours, hopefully your podcast listener will pause it so that you can just pick up where you left off. Anyhow, general news this week. Uh, Don't Tell Meg is submitted to BookBub on Sunday, the 25th of August. I said to you last week that I was going to go wide. I'm going to tell you about uh, an email exchange I had this week, a little bit in a couple of minutes time, really interesting email exchange that made me think I might get daring and just submit it to Amazon. I was also reading a post on 20 books from somebody who was talking about their book bub experience saying that she'd had something like nine out of 10 or eight out of 10 had been KDP select. And I really want KDP select. And, and I might just, just see if the devil in me comes out on Sunday. I'll have to tell you next week because I, I I think the devil in me might come out. I might just say, drop, I want a KDP select. I'm going KDP select. So I'll let you know next week whether I submitted it wide or Amazon exclusive. But at the moment, and you'll hear when, when I talk about an email I received, uh, you know, in a, little, in a little while, I'll just tell you what it says. It was really fascinating. Um, I'll tell you more about that in a moment or two, but it's an email from Robert Brucianeri. And Bo, I said to you that I meant to use your name in a book. If I write another, now you see her in that trilogy. I must put your surname in for a character in that book because it's an it's an American book. It'll fit in beautifully. Um, I said I was going to use your surname in in a book, didn't I? I must put that in in the notes, the planning notes for the next one. If um, Adam asked me to collaborate with him again, but anyhow, uh, Bob wrote me an email. I'll talk to you about that in a moment or two. But um, I think it might go. I might put it in KDP Select. That's how I'm minded at this particular moment in time. It might change, and I panic at the last minute on Sunday. Now, funnily enough, the day after that, the Grid One can go to BookBub as well. And as they're different author names, I'm just going to submit two to BookBub. Now, wouldn't that be a thing? It's going to be an expensive thing if I end up getting two BookBubs. Now, I don't expect that. The the, the Grid's been the Grid got a BookBub and then it was pushed back. It got knocked back last month. Uh, don't tell Meg has been out of BookBub for six months, so I'll be very lucky if they pick it up first time. But let's see. Um, I might even be in a position next week when I record the diary to let you know because they usually take about two or three days to get back to you. I got my Book Sweeps Sci-Fi subscribers back this week. And that gave me 335 subscribers from one event. So I paid, what, about $30 or something for that? It wasn't very expensive. 
Um, and I'd say that was well worth it to add 335 new subscribers to my sci-fi list. The one that I did for thrillers, I think is now over. Yeah, that's now completed. So I should again, hopefully by this time next week, I should be able to tell you how many new subscribers I got from my thrillers list by taking part in a book sweeps giveaway. But I like those book sweeps giveaways. I think they're pretty good. They, they get quite a good bit of activity. I mentioned to you in the in the update sequence, the first sequence, that I've been getting up at five o'clock quite a lot. And I know a few authors that I've been speaking to or who I follow have been talking about this 5am club. And um, I think I've said to you before, I, I totally get the 5am club. I think if my kids were younger and uh, I had to squeeze the time in, or if I was at work five, five days a week, that's what I would do. I would use the 5am club. And in actual fact, over summer, I've been getting up at 5am specifically to make sure I get my work done, specifically to make sure I can be productive when all my family are at home. So I am a fan of the 5am club, but I decided a while ago that I, I don't want to, I don't want to be up at five o'clock every morning. I don't feel like I have a productivity problem. I think like that I manage the ebbs and flows of my kind of energy, you know, my, my peaks and troughs during the day. I feel like I manage those adequately. I feel like I'm productive enough. So I, I don't feel like I need the 5am club. It's something I tend to parachute in um, as and when I need it. Um, so at the moment, I wasn't going to write over summer. I am writing over summer to achieve that. I've had to get up at 5am to do that. So I, I, you know, I'm not dissing the 5am club. But I did want to share with you, because I know a lot of you are doing the 5am club. I just wanted to share with you something from, um, what's his name? Rob? Blimey, I've forgotten his name. Rob, who does the um, Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast. Um, Rob Moore. <laughs> there, it's come to me. Rob Moore, who does the Disruptive Entrepreneur podcast. I've, I've um, recommended this to you before, and I, I really recommend that you dip in and out of it, but it's very good. And he does a money podcast as well, which is also very good. Um, but Rob has um, a podcast that he calls Rob's Rant. And it's called All This 5am Club. Um, well, it's a spell word after that. So um, I won't say the swear word because I don't want to have to put a advisory on this podcast episode. So All This 5am Club, it begins with B-O-L-L, that word. And it's just an alternative viewpoint. If you're struggling to get up at 5am and don't really like it, if you've heard everybody saying that you need to get up at 5 a.m., you know, Miracle Morning, Robin Sharma, lots, um, there's a, I think there's a 5 a.m. club, uh, writers group as well. If you're thinking this really isn't working for me, or I can't do this every day of the week, or do I really have to? I'm a nights person. If you're in that zone and you're getting that FOMO, that fear of missing out that everybody's doing this thing and that you're not going to be successful if you don't do it, have a listen to Rob's podcast. Um, I like Rob's stuff. I've, I've recommended him to you before I listen to his podcast and they're great value. But just have a listen to that because it will just throw a different light on it. I think, you know, Rob's, I kind of agree with Rob is that we all have different times of, of, of energy levels. Some people love to write at night. Some people love to write in the morning. I'm very much a morning person. It would be, I mean, my wife would never get up at 5am. There's absolutely no way my wife's getting up at 5am. As you, I don't, you know, she would tell you she's not physically capable of doing. I, I disagree with that. Um, but some people just really struggle to get up in the morning. I'm a morning person. When I woke up at 5am today, I could have just got up and gone. It was only because I knew I got the wriggle room. I didn't have to this morning that I didn't do it. Um, but I think the principle is what's right. The principle of the 5am club is absolutely right, which is to find a time when you can work undisturbed. And that's usually a time when other people are asleep. And it might be the middle of the night for you, or it might be 5am in the morning. But what I, I tend to be somewhere in the middle, you know, find your 5am 
and use the principle and use 5am club when you need it but you don't always need it all the time because remember there is real life to fit in around that as well so for instance if you're driving all day um, maybe you're a taxi driver and you're getting up at 5am and then clocking on for a shift at 8am that might be not the cleverest thing on earth so I think you do have to look at situational elements as well with these but have a listen to that podcast I put the link on the show notes those of you who are doing 5am club or thinking about it I think you'll find it really interesting I wanted to also recommend another uh, podcast episode for you this was the self-publishing formula this week which I, I kind of always enjoy but I tend to dip in and out of them I'm really enjoying now I've forgotten the name of it I, I am really enjoying the new one they've just started let me just get my feed up while I'm talking to you uh, because I can't remember what it's called it's the one with they call him young Tom and what's it called come on Paul find your podcast feed it is called self-publishing spotlight really enjoying that one because you're talking to authors who are at our kind of stage, uh, people who are making some money, they've got the books published, but they're not yet able to, they're still having to bootstrap, they're still having to be intelligent about how they how they do things. So, and I'm getting a lot of really useful information from that. So I do recommend that to you. But I did enjoy this week's edition of the self-publishing formula, particularly. It was with Mark Lefebvre, who used to work for Kobo, now works for Draft of Digital. And he's got a book, I think, called The the Seven P's of Publishing Success. And him and James Blatch were working through that in, in their episode 187. And it was just one of those kind of how-to episodes, you know, um, where it was just kind of tips, advice, and uh, all, all of it really just very, very interesting. I bought Mark's book on Kobo. I worked through that, all the steps within Kobo. Um, to try and increase my income on Kobo. I got loads of great information from it. So no, it's just a really good episode to listen to. It's just like one of those round robin episodes, a general author interest episode. But I, I thoroughly enjoyed listening to it. I like Mike Lefebvre too. I think he gives, you know, good value, got good experience as well. So my uh, giveaways are running at the moment. They all started on Monday, the 19th of August and they finish on the 30th of August. And this is just me um, running some giveaways, trying to build my list to boost my list before my rapid release sequence, because obviously my I'm going to send out emails every week to try and make book sales to people who hopefully are half interested in the books that I'm writing. Otherwise, they wouldn't be on my mailing list. So I'm just giving that list, those list numbers a bump if I can before we start. Um, hopefully in the hope that I will make some more sales. So as you know, I set up giveaways on Story Origin, on uh, Prolific Works and on Book Funnel. And on the show notes for this week, episode 167 of Paul's Podcast Diary, I have put links to the promotional graphics that I created for each giveaway and also the giveaway itself. So you could, without you having to hunt for them, just go to the resources page this week and you can very quickly see what I've done for those giveaways because I know some of you will be considering hosting your own giveaways. Now, this is a bit of advice I gave to Jerry Evanoff, actually, with giveaways. When you are the giveaway host, I I think I think if you don't have a big list, as a giveaway host, the person who does all the organisation and pulls it together, I think if you've got no subscribers or very few subscribers on your list, it's perfectly reasonable thing to do for you to host the giveaway and produce the graphics for it and not have a big list yourself. And that way you can grow your list with people who have got a big list. So you can say, I only want people who've got a list of 2,000 
or more on this event. And in return, I'll host a giveaway and I will provide the graphics for it. That's, we call it value exchange. That's a fair exchange of value, but it's a great way if you're the organizer, if you're the person organizing, fixing it and making everything happen, taking the strain with all of that, then um, I think people will be happy with that. I don't think anybody would say, oh, you've only got a list of 20. Um, you, you know, you're, you're organizing the giveaway. You've taken the time and trouble to do it. Um, I think that's a fair exchange of value. So um, I think this is quite a good way of building your list fast is, is actually running the giveaway, doing a good job of it. Uh, and then, you um, you know, because you get caught in this trap. If you've only got 20 subscribers on your list, no one wants you to take part in the giveaway because you can't reciprocate in any way. And so you're stuck because you can't get past 20 subscribers because you can't get more subscribers because no one will have you. So I think the trick for this is run the giveaway create a page of graphics. If you have a look at my graphics, you'll see exactly how I do it. And I get people then thanking me for all. So when I do my giveaways, people usually say to me, thanks very much for a great giveaway, Paul. Um, You know, because also you're using your editorial. So when I run a giveaway, you don't get hunks with six packs on them. You get properly collated books. You get a run, well-run giveaway. I communicate with you before, during, and after the giveaway. I give you a load of graphics that you can use. And usually I get people after the giveaway during it saying, really appreciate the graphics, really appreciate the work you've done, Paul. So I think there's a fair value exchange in there. So if you've got a tiny list and you need to build it, host a giveaway. Now I have shared with you this week, uh, as I say, my promo graphics that I do, they're all made in Canva and my book funnel graphics. And I'll tell you, you know, everything I do is templated. Everything I do is by formula. So all I've done in, in Canva is I've got something like, I think, six generic images. I've done it for sci-fi as well. I've got six generic sort of atmospheric thriller kind of images. And I've got, I do the same with my sci-fis. I've got six atmospheric generic sci-fi images. And all I do, when when I've got all my contributors for the for the event, I download all the book covers for the books that are taking part. I add them all on the background that I've got. I put the name of the giveaway and the dates on it, and then some call to action like load up with free books, and that's it. And I make six versions, and I make them all available to the participants. And I usually people are usually very, very grateful for that because most people don't give them graphics to to promote a giveaway with. They don't even set it up for success. So um, if you have a look at that, I'm very happy for you to kind of rip off my the, my style, the, the way I do that, or to take inspiration from that. Uh, and you can also see the giveaways to see, you know, how I've collated kind of genre specific uh, events. So I've got three giveaways running at the moment. Now I did go for story origin in the end. We got 15, I think it was 15 participants in that story origin. And I got to tell you, you know, you know, I was thinking of saying I wasn't going to go through with story origin. Um, I want to tell you that I love the interface for Story Origin. So I signed up for my own book to see what it looked like. I love, I really love what he's doing on Story Origin. And I would, I would urge you, I know he's in beta, unpaid beta at the moment. So you can actually use everything for free at the moment. I don't know how that will change when it launches formally. Um, but what I would say is that I really love what the, what, what I can't remember is Evan at Story Origin app. I think it is Evan. I think it is, um, doing a really good job, really value what they're doing there. My experience is that the numbers, I struggled to get the numbers, but actually when you look at the giveaway link, it looks perfectly all right. It's got 15 books on there. And I, and, and my final call with it was they've all got 2000 or more subscriber lists. So, so why the heck not really? Um, and interestingly, when I give you the stats that I've got so far, you'll see that it's doing really well for me. So it's actually second in line. It's, it's not the worst performer. It's performing second. I also signed up for my own book. I love the interface that has been created. So I'm. I'm pleased I went with Story Origin app. I 
recommend it to for hosting giveaways or taking part in giveaways. It's not, it's not quite as busy yet as BookFunnel is, but I, I think it will probably get there and they're doing a good job. It's a, it's a good job. It's a good author resource. So do check it out at storyoriginapp.com. So let me give you the numbers then. I, what I will tell you, by the way, is that these giveaways, there's no way, they're nowhere near as effective as they used to be. So when I used to do a giveaway on, I think it was Instafree, but I could, I'd get about 800 leads over the course of a giveaway. There, there's no way near that now. So you, you get a lot of book claims. There's no problems with the numbers of books that you get claimed. You just don't get the email list. Now, because of GDPR, we can't force them into signing up for our email lists and they get the option of it. Most people, the majority of people are not opting in for it. And that, that's kind of fine because, um, you know, we don't want tire kickers on our list. So they, they self-select in many respects. And by definition, if you've got a choice, the people who do sign up for the list ought to be more highly pre-qualified. So your, your numbers, your vanity numbers are not as high as they would have been at one time. And I'm still getting enough numbers and I'm certainly getting lots of book claims, people actually getting the book without signing up for my list. But it's nowhere near as effective as it used to be post, uh, well, you know, now it's post GDPR. It's not as effective as it used to be. But as I said, those leads might be better quality leads. Who knows? So let me give you the numbers then. From Story Origin, I have 15 books listed on that giveaway. And so far this week, so what are we with? What's the day? Thursday. Four days into that promo. It's, it's running till next Friday. So it's got quite a lot of days to run. A lot of people won't have promoted yet. I haven't promoted it yet. I'm not promoting it till Sunday. So from Story Origin, I have 15 books listed. So far, I've had 84 book claims for my book. On Book Funnel, there are 29 books listed. And so far, my books have been claimed 227 times. And on Prolific Works, there are 23 books listed. And I've had 65 book claims. So that that puts... Uh, obviously book funnel first. I think I've said that for a long time that book funnel has been really good. Prolific works, you know, really has had its wings clipped. And I don't know why that is nowhere near as effective as it used to be. And incidentally, um, one of the things I do like about prolific works is that they, um, if you've got a nice giveaway and it's all set up correctly, they will send and promote your giveaway to their email list. And they did that with our giveaway. And so even with that, email list promotion. I still only got 65 claims. So I got to say Story Origins doing pretty well there to have beaten Prolific Works with virtually, well, a fraction, about two thirds of the number of um, books listed. So I'm so pleased I stuck with Story Origin because I'm quite happy with 84 book claims. Um, and then also I, I downloaded the the spreadsheet with the subscribers. Now, I can't remember. I, I thought I'd noted this down. And I haven't. Just bear with me while I scroll through to my downloads. Uh, don't you hate Windows 10? I'm sure Windows 10 is slower to navigate than um, Windows 98 used to be. It even delays going to your, to your downloads folder. Now let me just have a look at the subscriber list. I'll tell you how many subscribers I've got. Um, yeah, so yeah, so on um, Story Origin, it's actually given me a list of 84 subscribers. So those are all, each claim is a subscriber. So I'd probably better check that just to make sure I've got that set up in a GDPR friendly way, actually, because that's unusual. I wouldn't normally get 84 claims, 84 emails. I'll just check those numbers, but that's still better than prolific works. And I'll, I'll have a little dig into that and just see what's going on. The other thing, by the way, I can tell you that I've regretted, you know, just a penny pinch and try and keep as much money in my pocket as possible. I, I stopped my monthly subscription to book funnel and I regret that now. I think 
my conclusion with book funnel is whether you're taking part in promos or not it's such a useful resource to have i shouldn't have i shouldn't have cancelled that subscription like book funnel to me now is just something i need to pay for whether i'm doing promos or not because why i find it so useful is that like for instance when i'm doing um writing a lot of books and I need to get them out to beta readers and things like that. I stick them all in book funnel. And the problem with being in the free book funnel option is that I've only got one author name and I don't have limitless books. So I, I, I got this ridiculous situation. I've got three of my slots in book funnel locked because I used to sell them on Payhip. If you remember, I went, um, when I was listed wide on all channels, I was selling these seven book mega packs, which I can't do at the moment because all the books are in transition. So I've taken those off sale. But because I was selling directly, I was using BookFunnel for that. And because you've sold those in the past, BookFunnel won't let you delete them or remove them. So they block three of my five available slots in the free account, which leaves me only with two books. Well, that's not enough. Um, so really, my conclusion from that episode is just pay for BookFunnel. It's brilliant, whether you're doing promotions or not. When you are doing promotions, you're ready to go. But basically, in book funnel, I kind of want every single book I've got as a 10% um, sampler, as a full book freebie. And I also want to be able to freely put in ARC copies to send them securely to, to, to beta readers and, and advanced reader copy readers. So um, I, I think book funnel is just a tool you need to have now, like Vellum, and I'm just going to pay for it and continue to use it because I... <laughs> you, know, you know when you think what did I do that for <laughs> I must have just been having a brainstorm but you know I removed all those books I had listed I'm going to have to list them all again now it doesn't massively matter because they're all edited I would have had to do it anyway they've all been edited since then it's all it's all fine isn't it really but um, they've all got new covers but I, I am going to subscribe to, to Book Funnel on an ongoing basis now because it's such a useful tool it's not there just for promos it's there for life Um, I've I always get when I do these special podcast episodes you know, these these longer ones where I do something a bit special a bit different I always get great feedback from people it always gets a brilliant response um, and I, I love reading your responses they're such good responses people write really long emails or you know really well considered emails so I love doing them um, and I, I just thought that I just had a little bit of a brainstorm in five minutes and I just came up with some future ideas now I'm not saying I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be doing these every week but I, I tend to do them when I'm traveling or if I'm a bit squeezed for time and it's just I just thought oh, I'll just knock up a list of, of ideas so that if I ever need them I, I got a list there and I, I, I'm just going to give you the list now and then if you've got anything that you'd like me to do and just add to that list just let me know so these are just ideas for the specials that I do for every now and then and if, say if you've there's something you'd like me to do or you think would be a good idea um, just drop me a line I'll add it to the list so here, here's my list of prospective future Paul's Podcast Diary episode. So I've got um, working through all the writing books on my shelf, my complete writing process from A to Z, five highlights, five lowlights of my indie author career, one full day in my author life. So I thought I'd take a Friday for that when I write, plan, do the podcast, just do a whole day in my author life, every, every job that I do and the timing for it as well. Um, my thoughts on my old books, my trilogies, kind of my self-reviews of my old books. How I maintain physical and mental health as an indie author. 10 things you didn't know about me. 10 things I ditched as an indie author. 10 bits of author advice I ignored in my author career. Uh, advice from listeners. I thought I might open this up and say, um, well, either your advice or advice to me because you listen to the show. So obviously, I, I know this from 20 books that often people listen to the podcast, they're shouting at me, uh, you know, basically things you shout at me when you listen to the podcast and to share those. I thought that might be quite interesting. Um, 
non-fiction books I could write. That would be a combination of ideas from you and ideas from me. And my author life at 60. So what, you know, what's my author life going to look like in five years time when I'm older, obviously, when I'm 60? So those were just ideas I, I jotted down off the top of my head. If you've got some ideas, do you think, oh, that, that would work really well as a podcast episode? Just uh, tweet me or Facebook me or email me. Just let me know and I'll add them to the list. And I say, I'm not promising I'm even going to do them, but I'm just going to put it on a pin board. And then when I need an idea, I'll just pluck one from that list. And, uh, you know, it's just, I just thought they were nice ideas for a rainy day. Finally, then, before we move on to the post bag, I t- oh, it's a long one this week. I'm almost embarrassed by how long this one is. I just wanted to let you know that The Secret Bunker in Fife ordered another 30 copies of book one this week. So uh, I did say to you that they sell throughout the summer. I think they did they order 90 at the beginning of the season. So they're topping up already, um, which makes me feel good because they're obviously flogging them, aren't they? So those are 30 paperbacks. Um, in fact, I forgot to see what that added in terms of income to my numbers. Uh, but that will add obviously a nice bit of income because they're all paperbacks. I think I make a couple of quid on each one. I can't remember uh, what the pricing is on those. So that was nice. 30, 30 paperback copies of book one this week. And obviously book one is always the one that sells best in the secret bunker. They always um, order books two and three and slower, but they do package them as a trilogy in the secret bunker itself. But they have quite a lot of markup on the books. I think they sell them at a tenner each, which is remarkable, isn't it? So I think I must sell them at six ninety nine, something like that. They sell them at nearly a tenner, I'm sure, in the shop. So, um, you know, it's good that we're all able to make some profit from that. So let's move on to the post bag and social media. We've got some great ones this week. So um, to uh, Bob Buccianeri, I think I've got that right, Bob. Um, brilliant letter this week, Bob. Thank. This is one of these excellent letters that I get from time to time. And I'm not going to read the whole email, but I did get Bob's permission just to uh, share one of the points that he made. And it was a really good email, Bob. So thank you for this. And this is one of the joys I find about doing this podcast is you get this kind of hive mind you know people will write to me and say have you thought about this did you know about that um were you aware of that resource it happens all the time for me i, I don't get to mention everything i'll be here all day um I, I try i try and select and pick off you know bits to share uh, or bits that have particularly resonated um but this is great and um, bob just said uh, he was talking about um my episode where I said 15 things uh, that I've changed my mind about in self-publishing and he just wanted to add some comments to the KDP versus wide debate and I'll, I'll just read this email for you with Rob's uh, with your pardon I keep calling Rob with Bob's permission my feeling in general is that Amazon's competitors have more or less failed to compete perhaps the smaller ones and Kobo have done all they could but that's not the case with Apple Google and Barnes and Noble They've just failed pretty miserably to offer a comparable product and ease of use for indie authors. Apple in particular had a wonderful opportunity to be a major player, but never gave it much of an effort. Perhaps they don't see enough profit in it. So now we face a situation where around 70 to 80%, 70 to 80% of ebooks are sold through Amazon and something around half of all online print books. For all intents and purposes, Amazon is the market. That's really important for all intents and purposes. Adam, Amazon is the market. I don't like having all my eggs in one basket, but the other baskets don't deserve any of my eggs. I've gone wide with a couple of books and gotten absolutely nowhere. If Amazon changes the game in a way that damages authors, then even if you're wide, it's going to severely impact your business. We'll all be scrambling for new ways to sell our books. Plus, 
It's much easier to concentrate your time and efforts on only one distributor and retailer. Right now, over 70% of my income comes from page reads, and I couldn't possibly give that up for the paltry possibility of some long-term sales at the other stores. I keep an open mind, and with Amazon's 90-day contracts, I can pivot whenever the playing field changes. To me, that is like the best thing I've read about the KDP and wide argument from, from anywhere. So if you look at the different arguments, I said to you, I went wide, I tried wide, I just don't make enough money from it. Um, and so therefore I have to make a business decision because if I don't make money, I don't have a business. If I'm not in profit, I don't have a business. It's a hobby. I've said this to you before. If I spend money and don't make money, it's a hobby. I'm not prepared to run a hobby. This is a business for me. I have to be in profit and I can't make enough money on the other outlets. And so therefore I'm, I'm going back to Amazon again. Now, if you look at Joanna Penn's argument, this is really interesting. Joanna Penn will say, I go wide. That's a long-term strategy. And I, I absolutely hear that. And I, I agree with it. I absolutely agree with it because I've been stung by with Facebook, with my software, building on a single platform on my own in, in the past. But I think Bob's got it absolutely right. He's hit the, the nail right on the head here. Right. The reality is that even Joanna Penn will tell you that the majority of her income comes from Amazon, even though she's wide. And so if Amazon suddenly changed the rules, say they suddenly say we're all getting 1% of our income, we're all dead in the water if Amazon do that. Because the simple reality is, even if we're wide, Amazon still makes most of our income. And the reason they make most of our income is because they're doing such a good job. And as Bob quite rightly says, because the others have failed or they've done such a miserable job of getting this right. It's because they've failed to compete with Amazon. It's not Amazon's fault that they're doing so well. It's because the others have made a rubbishy effort to keep up with them. And as Bob says, I don't like having all my eggs in one basket, but the other baskets don't deserve any of my eggs. And that's how I feel. You know, it's like, it's like if you, if you go to a race course, if you, and you back the donkey in the race, it's like back in the donkey because you're not going to make any money from the donkey. You're going to lose your money. And that's how I feel about the other outlets. I would dearly, dearly, dearly love to go wide, but I'm sorry. They've got to raise their game because I can't make enough money on those other outlets. And um, so I, I, I think that's fascinating. I, I've cut and pasted that text with Bob's permission. I did get permission to, you know, to read that and share that as it was written. But I think that's a very, very compelling way of putting it. And as Bob says, you're only caught for 90 days at a time if you go Amazon exclusive. It's only 90 days. You can get out of it. It's not for life. You can pivot. If, if Google suddenly come in and say, we're giving you 100% of everything, we're just going to use your books uh, as a way. You know, Google could do this. They could just use our books um, to drive traffic as a platform for Google AdWords. You know, people advertise on Google AdWords. So they don't make any money for the books. They simply use our traffic uh, and they use us as a destination to, to sell other things. So they could give us 100% of the profits. For, Google could do that. Um, Amazon could, frankly, but Google could do it even easier. Um, if they did that, great, we'll all be in there. But they've got to come up with something to make it worth our while. And in the meantime, and this is why I'm going Amazon exclusive, that's where I'm going to make my money. And that's, so that's where I'm going. So Bob, brilliant email. There was much more to it than that. I could actually do a whole podcast episode on, on Bob's email. Uh, exchanges this week but um i just wanted to share that with you because i just i thought that was a very compelling way of looking at it a beautiful tweet this week from Alyssa grosso 
who said it's been a topsy-turvy week and I'm only just now getting a chance to listen to the latest self-publishing journeys podcast from Paul Teague and looking out my window it looks like Paul has a new listener I'm not surprised it's a great show for authors of all species there is a picture um, now I've got to remember Bambi now what is a baby deer called I can't remember <laughs> I just can't remember I'm embarrassed by that a baby deer it's like primary school isn't it what's a baby deer called what's a baby pig called um, it's a baby deer anyway, and it's beautiful. And it's right side, right outside Alyssa's window eating the grass. Beautiful, beautiful picture. So thank you for sharing that, Alyssa. Appreciate that. And then also, um, Tim Lewis, who <laughs> again, I'm sorry, Tim, <laughs> um, has said, I mean, this is obviously completely tongue in cheek. He sent me a picture of a industrial bin this week because I was teasing him last week about how unglamorous his shot was compared with Lucy Branches in Croatia. And uh, Tim has tweeted to say, I thought I'd send you another glamorous listening to your show picture. And it's just a big green industrial wheelie bin. Now, when you compare that to the picture of uh, that Alyssa sent me, which, as I say, looks like a, a still from the Bambi movie. Um, it, it doesn't, you know, kind of compare, really. But um, I, I don't care anyway. I, I love to see all of your pictures and your views when you're listening to the podcast it's uh, it's fabulous to see people around the world doing different things it's just like a, a snatch of life it's just really nice to see so thank you very much for sharing those tweets if you've never sent me one before please don't feel shy just take a snap on your camera let me know where you are when you're listening to the podcast and keep them coming if you're a regular sender um, of those particular tweets thank you very much for listening to this week's podcast diary i'll have another diary for you next saturday but don't forget that coming up on monday bank holiday monday in the uk i'm going to drop part two of this diary and this is why i recorded the good the bad and the ugly of my writing with judy cordon who's now done a full edit on two of my books she's been through left for dead and now you see her we spent just short of an hour chatting through what i'm doing right what i'm doing wrong how i can improve what julie enjoyed about the story what she thinks my strengths are and what she thinks my weaknesses are so that episode will be dropping into your feed first thing on monday morning have a great week of writing i'll be back next saturday bye for now thanks for listening to paul's podcast diary make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed to hear next week's update and find out how many words get produced over the next seven days until then we hope you have a great week of writing